Cayman Nature, a journey in search of a peaceful and prosperous society with human nature as a guide. Led by your host, Adam Heyman. Hello, welcome to Heyman Nature. Thank you for joining us. Um, the Super Bowl in America is about to happen, so the porcupine and I thought it might be a fun idea to talk about all things gambling related. Heck yeah. <laughs> um, I have a gambling background. Before I was a super famous podcaster, I was a professional <laughs> uh, poker player, and uh, I've been around the gambling world for a long time, so I have a few things to say. And we're going to tie that into the big game, as they call it. Um, but first, I want to trot out a brand new segment on our little show here called, Hey, Hero, your fly is open. <laughs> and the point of uh, this segment is uh, sometimes heroes in our libertarian movement, uh, as great as they are, sometimes they stumble or miss the mark slightly. And gosh darn it, that's why we're here. <laughs> we can... Uh, we can maybe uh, pick up the pieces and, and help smooth things out when they make a tiny little mistake. So we're going to play a little clip here, and it is from a very heroic Dave Smith's part of the Problem Podcast. And he is uh, talking about the hierarchy of importance in problems in the world and why he and Robbie uh, focus on the most important things and other people's complaints are just not as important, and he's justifying his uh, his stance. So here we go. And this is one of the things that I always try to do. This is, but I, I get it from my my hero. It's all from Ron Paul because it was always like the the um, the example that he set was that you always talk about the most important things. You always put the most emphasis on the most important things. You know, and this is where the woke people fail. This is where the anti-woke people fail. This is what we were talking about when we were calling out that guy uh, who was criticizing me on Twitter, where, uh, you know, we were talking about in that episode, we were like, yes, dude, like dudes shouldn't be able to compete with girls for in swimming contests. Okay. I agree with you, but believe it or not, there are things out there that are a lot more important than the dude swimming with the chicks. Like, Banker bailouts are more important than the dude swimming with the chicks. Wars are more important than that. And this is like where people get their priorities just all wrong. And sometimes the answer is as simple as just being like, oh, that doesn't matter that much. That doesn't matter. And I'm, you know, there's just a hierarchy of priorities. And if you're like, oh, uh, you know, someone at a college campus with a, a college student was offended by something that was said. It's like, oh, yeah, that doesn't matter. That's okay, because it doesn't matter at all. And if you know, if your if your thing is like, oh, my feelings were hurt, it's like, oh, okay, cool. That doesn't matter. It just doesn't even register. It's not even low on the hierarchy. It's just not on there. It doesn't matter at all. Okay, so there's Dave. And he's saying that quote, dudes shouldn't be able to compete with uh, girls in swimming contests. Uh, he agrees with that point, but that Things like banker bailouts and wars and, you know, the mass nations of the Fed are, are much worse. Uh, and I totally agree with that. But then he makes a little bait and switch because as he's talking, he's thinking back to this guy who complained um, that he wasn't taking, you know, the issue seriously of, of these men, these trans people 
competing in women's sports and he was, you know, defending himself because other things are more important. And he says, in fact, and as he's bringing, as he's talking about that issue, trans people in sports, he switches back and he says, because now he's talking about woke leftists and their hurt feelings on college campuses. And he says, the issue doesn't matter much. It doesn't even register. It's not even low on the hierarchy. It's just not even there. And I totally agree with that point, but he was using that example about trans athletes in sports. And I think he was wrong to use that example. He shouldn't because the trans issue is really, really important. Um, When compared against things like starting wars, dropping bombs, killing people all over the world and the destruction of currency, maybe it doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but it really is. It may be even more important because they're trying to destroy the concept of what a woman is in this particular example. And that's a massively big deal. It's Orwellian. We as a species learned the difference between men and women before we learned how to make and manage fire. It's super essential, that distinction. And these trans people aren't just saying, hey, it would be a cool idea to let men compete against women. What they're saying is that these men are women. It's a huge issue. And it's, I mean, if you don't believe me, just go find one of these lunatic trans activists online or in person and say, hey, do you have a word that means adult human female? And you watch what happens. You're going to get this explosion of word salad (laughs) because no, they don't. That's the whole point. They want to obliterate the concept. And the obliteration of concepts, as I know Dave knows, is super, super important um, for at least two reasons. The, f- the most basic one is it's gasoline thrown on the identitarian fire that is, that is ripping our entire society and culture apart. You know, we just need much less of that, not much more. But even worse, again, it's, it's concept destruction. It's, it's, it's exactly what they were doing in Orwell's 1984. Um, This kind of stuff breaks people's brains, um, destroys their ability to think. I am not kidding. And if you destroy the citizen's ability to think and differentiate on concepts and object on principle, then you immediately destroy their ability to resist anything. Um, Once you've gotten a populace to swallow the idea that a man is actually a woman, and not only do they believe that, but they, they swallow it and never speak out and never object. Once you've gotten them to do that, how are they ever going to object to any, anything that you do as a, as a totalitarian regime? Um, so I get what Dave's point, you know, maybe the dudes swimming against the girls, isn't that, that important, but the trans agenda in general is super important. Um, again, it's at least as important as war and, the fiat dollar system and the corruption in Washington. It's a, it's a mega crime. Um, destroying the populace's ability to think by obliterating basic concepts upon which not only society, but our whole species are formed. That's a big deal. Um, think about it this way. Everybody complains about taxes and most people complain about what they view are useless wars. Maybe they can't make the regime stop doing it to them, but they know it's wrong, right? 
you know when your son got dragged off to Iraq and didn't come home or came home with his mind and body shattered. And and they know when taxes are too high. But if you make if you let this trans stuff infect the population so people can't understand what's happening to them when when they're actually even thinking that leah thomas is a woman just like all those other women in the swim meet when you've gotten them when you've gotten them that bamboozled they can't think about and perceive reality um their minds are now just pudding for the regime so we can't let things like this stand and don't get me wrong, Dave Smith's a hero. I love that dude. He is our best our best communicator. Or maybe it's neck and neck him and Tom Woods. I don't know. We'll let him have a little race. But uh, I think it's important, and I hope Dave hears this, because, hey, hero, your fly's open. What we want to do today is talk about some gamble, gamble, gamble. Gamble, gamble! All right. <laughs> yeah, Super Bowl's coming up. So um, I thought since you have a background in professional gambling, uh, what, what, a, what a great topic to uh, talk about. And of course, we're, we're going to have some fun with it, but then try to tie it back to some, some philosophical points of, about human nature itself. So first, let me ask you a, a little bit. I, I don't think our viewers know um, uh, your your background perhaps as as a once professional poker player or semi-retired poker player i don't know how you 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 call yourself today so what why don't you give us just a little bit of history about yourself about that sure i'll be super brief and i wouldn't call myself a professional anything i i cherish and clutch at my amateur status i don't want to give it up um but i am semi-retired now um i got a little turned off about the whole thing after covid um, but yeah, I started playing poker in the early nineties and, and graduated from college and couldn't find a job that, that suited me. So I just kept playing. I was already making the rent. Um, and so I just kept doing it. And, uh, yeah, I, as we go through this episode, I'll, I'll chime in with a bit more of my history, but, uh, why don't we do that topic by topic? What's on your mind? What, uh, what games interest you, Tyrone? Well, when the whole Chris Moneymaker thing happened, uh, what year was that? Two thousand? Oh three, maybe. Okay. Yeah, that sounds that sounds that sounds about right. Anyway, and you know, the the poker fad exploded across the country. So I was just like everybody else. Uh, I was like, Well, I I can do this too, right? Um, so I read all the books, I bought all those videos on how to the tells of people, you know, how to tell when they're bluffing and uh and, and watched all the, the poker shows on TV. And back then, they didn't have the whole card cameras. And right. it's it's amazing to re-watch some of those old ones. And, and you think, wow, this is really boring without knowing what the whole <laughs> cards are. But back then, it was awesome. And, you know, the movie Rounders came out. So everybody wanted to be a poker player. And uh, it seemed like something that, uh, you know, the average person could do. The math isn't that complicated, you know. Um, what I discovered about myself was I like to have a beer or two or three <laughs> while playing poker. And that's a disaster when playing poker. I was like, I can bluff with two seven. Come on, man. It's, it's no problem. So, so my, my poker career was short lived, but actually I gravitated towards, uh, the game of seven card stud 
And this is going to sound kind of weird. I actually wrote a kind of a book on <laughs> how to play seven card stud because the way the way I like to learn it is is by digesting material and then sort sort of re reconfiguring it or, or reforming it into something else. I thought, well, I'll just I'll just write sort of a a book about it. I I shopped it around. Obviously, I was nobody. No no publisher was was going to pick it up, but I found that seven card stud seems to be to me the more um the, the more advantageous game for for someone because it's more mathematical it depends less on bluffing um and if you have a sharper mind for keeping track of cards and keeping track of odds you can really take advantage of of positions and not have to worry as much about say a river card destroying you in texas hold'em um, so that's my impression and my limited experience in poker. What do you think is the best game to play if, if I was if I was starting out in poker? Well, it's funny you mentioned seven card stud high because that is my favorite game. It's probably the one I, I think I'm the best at, and it's the one I almost never play anymore because it's just so hard to, to find it spread at any it's, significant levels. It's impossible to find because Texas Hold'em's just taken over everything. That's all yeah. anybody wants to play. I mean, that was all they were playing in the 50s and 60s, and then it dried up. But then with the advent of uh, that movie Rounders and, and and ESPN making Chris Moneymaker, a, you know, a hero all across the... Yeah, it took over and dominated. But I play Omaha. I play uh, high-low games. I play draw games. Um, I'll play anything. My favorite way to play poker is to play mixed games, which are every rotation you change which game you're playing. It's more mm. fun, but uh, oh, I don't want to get off on a tangent about stud, but no, I, I think bluffing play. is hugely important in that game. Oh, really? You do? It just doesn't. It just doesn't take the form that it does in the movies. Mm. Um, it's it's about constructing ranges. And when you raise with the ace as a door card, a whole bunch of the time you're going to have ace split aces a smaller percentage of the time you're going to have a pocket pair and uh, a percentage of the time to be determined later is uh, just three high cards or three suited cards and a strong opening uh, strategy is to play all those exactly the same and that's a semi-bluff it's going to be a five street semi-bluff if, if 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 the situation merits it but yeah there's plenty of bluffing um, but I don't want to turn this into a symposium on how to play uh on how to play various kinds of poker um i'm going to give some advice about all the types of gambling that you're going to bring up and how you can beat these games including the games against the house um so i'm just going to close the poker segment by saying uh it's real easy to win in poker just play better and find uh, opponents like the porcupine here and if I'm gonna and if I'm gonna publish your book, I'm gonna insist that chapter one be called Zero Beers. Chapter two <laughs> yeah, is right. one beers. No doubt. No doubt. No <laughs> two doubt. beers. Three beers. Well, my my favorite game to play. So my favorite game of all time uh, is blackjack. I just love blackjack because um, it is a game. Um, so for me, my when I go to the casino, I'm not there to win money. I'm I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a huge gambler. I go to the casino maybe three, four times a year, uh, whether that's one here locally or traveling uh, <clears throat> uh, to Vegas. Um, and, and I like blackjack just because it's it's a, 
it's it, it's a bit more social of a game it's a bit it's faster pace unlike poker where you're sitting out of hand so much of the time in blackjack you're always playing um and if you if you know basic strategy and you can do a simple super simple count and what i mean by super simple count here's here's my tip so the way i like to play blackjack is I like to have beers or drinks or cocktails. I like to take advantage of the the free drinks they give you or whatever. So I don't want to have to spend too much mental energy. And I am not there to win money. I'm just there to have fun. I play the lowest limit table, $10, $15, whatever it is. I just want my bankroll to last. So for me, gambling is just an entertainment. And and I'm not there to to try to win. So my biggest tip for anybody out there that that's, uh, wants wants to play blackjack just casually, just have some fun. Go go with a you know a dedicated bankroll. Don't don't go beyond that. If I play a fifteen dollar table, max I'm going to bring is like four hundred bucks to the table. That will last me easily three to four hours if you play a real good, solid basic strategy. And all you have to do is count the fives. So a, a lot of blackjack counting systems, you got to keep track of all the cards. Forget that. I don't have the mental capacity for that after, you know, six, 12 beers. Just count the fives. When the fives run low uh, in the shoe, it's to your advantage. And then you can start bumping up your, your bet a little bit or take advantage of some more of those uh, weird splits or double downs that you, that, you know, do a little bit of deviation from, from, um, st- uh, standard basic strategy so i don't know yet do you ever play blackjack i mean i know you're a poker guy so poker guys and blackjack don't always go together they usually do go together the first game i tried to beat consistently was blackjack before i even thought about oh okay and yeah you're right the five is the most important card i used a simple 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 counting strategy back in the day deuces through sixes were plus one right face cards and aces are minus one yep um you keep a running count and you adjust that uh, to find a true count um, by taking into consideration the number of decks that are right. remaining in a single deck game. That's no adjustment whatsoever. Double deck, half, six deck, you know, you do the math. It's simple. Yeah. I avoid single deck or even double deck games. I find they always cut them too thin, you know, too, too shallow. On, well, on the yeah, you, uh, back in the day, uh, the casinos didn't really understand, you know, they just, they knew the math of the game, gave them a built-in edge. No matter how good you played, it was going to be between one and a half, two percent or so house edge, depending on the rules of the given location. You know, uh, some rules are advantageous to the players, and some aren't. So every joint had a slightly different uh, rule rule set. Um, but then they discovered that all they had to do rather than wasting huge surveillance time trying to spot people who are varying their bet size depending on how advantageous the count is um just shuffle up right all you have to do is shuffle up and you don't have a problem <laughs> which brings up a funny story i got right. a buddy of mine who's really really good at this game okay he's been counting forever and he can do it drunk he can count down two different tables drunk oh wow he's just that good he's been doing it for that long so one night he was out carousing. Uh, he was already several beers in, and he just found a found an attractive uh, blackjack dealer and and sat down and started playing. And the count is going up, and he's winning also, which almost never happens when the count is going up. Right. And he keeps pressing his bets, and the count keeps going up, and he keeps winning. 
and he keeps drinking and things are just wonderful and Kent keeps going up and he keeps winning. He goes, Oh my God, this is amazing. He wants to, he hasn't been considering the true count at this point because beer. So he looks over to the discard rack to try and figure out how amazing this, uh, this count actually is. And where the, uh, where the discard rack is supposed to be is the continuous shuffling machine. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> so my expert buddy, who's so goddamn good at this game, wins a whole bunch of money oh, counting into a thing that's not countable. <laughs> oh, my God. That is crazy. That's funny. That is funny. Uh, so, it, well, hey, man, as they say, it's better to be lucky than good, right? For sure. So black, <laughs> blackjack's great. Um, if you go play, expect to not be able to find an edge because they're just hard to find anymore. The days yeah. when the casino operators were <laughs> bad at this uh, is going away, which is why those MIT guys got so famous uh, right. breaking into the uh, Indian casinos that were just running blackjack yep. for the first time. And the ones who got real racist and, and haughty and didn't hire the, the management from the, from the uh, white man's casinos, they found themselves just making huge mistakes and getting taken advantage. And, uh, yeah, so those days are gone, but uh, it's a fun game. Yeah, that was a good book, not a great movie, but um, I agree. Uh, yeah, those continuous shuffle machines avoid those <laughs> at all costs. But I'll tell you, oh, what, and uh, and never take six to five. Yeah, just it, I was have just gonna self, say that. Have some self respect. Yeah, yeah, it, I, it's I, I was just on your black checks. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I was just gonna say that. Um, you know, when when we met up in Vegas uh, last time I was there, obviously it's kind of your your hometown there. Um, you know, there, there's still some good places you got to go off strip like Ellis Island, I, I think of, but I, I don't like going to Ellis Island because it's, it's just too packed all the time. And it's, it's, I don't like that environment where you just crammed in like sardines. So where I was staying at, I'm just going to give a little plug here. Actually, no, no endorsement at all. But if anybody's looking for a good spot to play, go to the Virgin Hotel. It used to be the old Hard Rock Hotel. It's now the Virgin. The casino's dead. I mean, I don't know how they're surviving. So you get you get a table that isn't very crowded. It's relaxed. You get great drink service. You get attentive. The all the dealers are are really friendly because, um, you know, it's it's an off strip property. So it's it's the up and coming dealers that are trying to trying to really make make their bones, and three two blackjack. So, uh, and I think they run like ten or ten dollar tables. <laughs> we were on a Saturday night. I think they might have had a ten dollar table. It was crazy, but. Awesome. <clears throat> Um, so you can find those places. Have you checked out the new Durango or any of the new spots that have opened up? Lately? Not yet. No. Yeah. Well, next time I'm in Vegas, uh, hopefully we'll be making a trip this year. We'll hook up again and, and maybe we can play some poker together. I would, I would, uh, I, I, I can be, I can be the dunce, right? I can be the, uh, the Ed Norton character. <laughs> <laughs> I can play that really well. <laughs> Good times. Uh, Let's do it. All right. What's next? The other game I really love is craps because again, same thing. You've got uh, a huge mathematical advantage. Well, there's no advantage, but you know, of all the games in the casino that, that you play against the house, obviously poker, you're not playing against the house. Um, craps has the lowest edge, even better than blackjack. Um, especially if they're only paying six five on, on on blackjack. You are correct, um, and yet I kind of detest craps. On the one hand, yeah, if you avoid every other area of the table and you just take the well, the best you can do is the don't pass line. 
If you do that and take full odds, you can get your net bets down to well under uh, just a negative half a percent edge for the house. And that's great. But on the other hand, there isn't a goddamn thing in the world you can do to ever get a positive edge, you know, barring some some form of cheating that uh, we do not recommend here at Heyman Nature. No, and again, you know, I'm going to the casino on vacation. I'm there to have fun, but I True. still want my bankroll to last me. I don't want to blow it in five minutes. That's not well, fun. That, game, that game's streaky. Craps is streaky. And But craps, you can sit there for a long time because you can place one bet, and it can sit there for 10 minutes while somebody's rolling out, right? So yeah, but the problem is that all those other bets on the layout are just so shiny. Don't right. you want to make one <laughs> well, of those fun bets? Ooh. And after... After six twelve <laughs> beers, I'm throwing throwing lots of bets on yo. Trust me. Yo. What's uh, next? Uh, let's see. You know, slots. We can talk about slots a little bit. So, I I, I worked I worked in the casino industry for sixteen years, um, and uh, so obviously I I know a lot about how the games work and things like that. It doesn't make me a good gambler. There's no such thing as a a good gambler unless you're super disciplined. Um, and pick pick the absolute right games. Uh, if you're just there for fun, look, I'm not going to tell anybody not to play slots. I play slots. They can be fun. Invaders of Planet Moolah is kind of <laughs> one of my favorite ones that's new because all the funny graphics and stuff like that. But, you know, just understand your money's going to go quick on those. So it, it's it's I don't spend a lot of time time on slots. And and uh I, I I don't know. You have any thoughts on slots? It's really just for fun, right? You, you just got to expect to lose. Slots are fun. They're very shiny. They're very funny. Hey. You can play. You can play the Kardashian slot machine. You can play the Harley Davidson slot. Hey, machine. do you remember the old slots of fun in downtown Vegas? Hell yeah! That Hell place yeah. was the best. Holy crap! You want to talk about? The cocktail waitresses would be on you every 30 seconds if you just gave them a dollar, right? And it was so small, and everything was like a nickel. It was great. Tyrone, Tyrone, you sweet summer child. Those ladies were prostitutes. Oh, shit. They were? Anyway, um, the thing about slots is all casino managers, if they had their way, they would remove everything from their casinos oh. that wasn't a slot machine. 100%. Take There's every no labor. square well, inch. Yeah. Yeah, there's no, well, there's the very little labor. You need right, an right. But in the hold is, you know, somewhere in the range of 12 to 15%. It's easily the most advantageous game for the casino there is. Oh, yeah. And yet, here's the funny part. Slots are beatable. Oh, really? Yes, they are. Uh, they didn't used to be. Um, huh. But they okay. have made, in an effort to make slots more engaging and fun and addictive, they've made them, uh, forget the word, variable state the ex expe expected value is variable state and the simplest way to describe that is a thing that's on a lot of slot machines maybe most of them which is a a progressive jackpot you watch it and as dollars go in it starts to tick up mm -hmm. you know right well the there's a there's some odds associated with hitting that jackpot and if the progressive feature is higher than that number well then you have a positive expectation play hmm the first time you might experience this is if you're playing video poker, you know? Right. If video the, poker, I understand more if it's math. it's a thousand, you know, then the EV is calculable, assuming perfect play based upon a, a, a chart. 
But as that progressive meter goes up and up and up, there is a number upon which once it goes over that, you know, it gets to be break even. And then every dollar up above that, the player has an edge. And that's huh. true of slots as well. And it's even more interesting than just progressive slot machines. Um, you've got slot machines with three or four or five different tiers of jackpots, and they're all progressive. So you can watch all of those. And then above and beyond all that, as they're making slot machines look more like video games nowadays. Oh, yeah. And so things will occur on the screen that change. You know, you'll get wild cards that start to accumulate. You'll get these. Um, everyone's a little different. Uh, like one of the most. I don't think these exist anymore, but one of the earliest variable state machines was, I think it was called cherry pies. And as you played, little cherries would appear in your pie. And as the whole thing got filled up, then a bonus round would be triggered. And most of these uh, are either uh, centered around bonus rounds or, or wild reels. And so s people who are slithering little cockroaches <laughs> can just wander around the casino floor and sometimes a tourist will just leave a game because it's dinner time or the show's about to start or my plane's about to take off. And they're leaving a machine that probably was hugely negative for most of the run, but now it's positive. And you can I see it not... just by just by walking across and looking at it. There's I a didn't lot know of this. Them. Really? I know. Very few people do. Oh, dude, and, you're gonna uh, have to you're gonna have to point I, I, telling I, you exactly which ones you? uh Telling you exactly which ones, uh, maybe we'll put that behind the paywall that we haven't created yet for right. this show. <laughs> but yeah, so slots are, are weird. They're, they can, they're the highest house edge, and yet, if you know what you're doing, they're beatable. Well, so us libertarians kind of think that ever since the Federal Reserve and uh, basically has induced inflation and, and reduced the buying power of our dollar, that it's turned what used to be a good thing, the stock market, into just basically a New York casino. Um, I certainly get that feeling because it's like th think about what happened uh, that in two thousand eight with the with the the Great Recession or whatever the hell they call it. Uh, you know, it just seems like you're you're gambling now on stocks. I mean, because like, oh, my four hundred one k is doing really good, and then all of a sudden, boom, it's just lost 50% of its value. What what the hell happened? That doesn't sound like investing to me. That sounds like gambling to me. What are your, what are your thoughts on the stock market? Well, you make a great point. It's a crying shame that since the Fed is reducing the purchasing power of your dollars, you can't just sit on them. They depreciate in value every single day. So therefore, in the olden days, you could throw your money under a mattress. And as long as the productivity of the nation was improving, as it always does, those dollars would actually increase in purchasing power over time. But now, since they're being inflated, um, more units chasing the same amount of goods, the purchasing power goes down. And that's why people feel like they have to invest in it. They usually pick the stock market, even though they don't know anything about it. So that's unfortunate. It's uh, you're being pressured into doing something that you might not want to do, and maybe you're not prepared to do. The silver lining is you don't have to be dumb and just gamble. If you diversify your portfolio, just putting your money in an index fund of the S and P 500, you know that's going to be pretty stable. You're going to suffer the machinations of markets as central banks manipulate them. You know, so you're going to suffer the slings and arrows of booms and busts that are not 
functions of a market economy, but you don't have to go nuts and put all your, your money on, you know, Apple or something and feel like, or, or, or even worse, trying to do day trading where not oh, only are you just speculating that. blindly and not diversified, you're increasing the transaction costs that you pay. Yeah. Why would mm -hmm. you do that? So it's unfortunate. And, and I don't, I get why people are calling it gambling, especially when you're doing it on the other, other side. The hedge funds are gambling from the position of the house, right? Because mm -hmm. not only do they get to make huge, horrible bets, they do it with other people's money. They collect a commission on top of it. And if they screw up, as they did in 05 yep. through 07, they have the political capital to make sure that they taxpayers bail them out. Right. I don't know what you call a gambling system where the winnings are privatized and the losses are socialized, but that's a pretty pretty darn good casino. You call that a casino. <laughs> you call that a casino. <laughs> and the worst possible kind. Um, yeah, so that's what I think about the stock market. Um, it's bad that it's so corrupt, um, as we would expect from a thing that's a cartel. This isn't a free market. The, the, the government is all over that thing, and it's as you would expect, having the rules twisted and bent to benefit people who lobby Congress and control the SEC. And so, yeah, it's bad. But if you feel like you have to invest, you don't have to go nuts. Just diversify in a broad index fund of something that covers the whole market. Yeah, let me let me make two quick comments. So I think <clears throat> you mentioned the S&P. I think his, history has shown that's the better play. And investing in the Dow or NASDAQ. Look, I'm not giving any financial advice here. No financial advice here. But I think I think I I think I'm right about the SP outperforming everything else. So if it if it was me, my money, I think I would just buy the SP. But I I I I drink too much of the blackjack table. I don't have money, any money to invest. So what the hell do I know? Don't take any advice from me. You solved the, the problem. Solved it early. The second, yeah. I need that progressive jackpot, Adam. Seriously, man. The social security ain't going to be there for me. So I need something. Um, I'm reminded of God, I'm going to butcher this. So I'm not even going to try to quote it, but I'm reminded of something that uh, Ludwig von Mises once said, uh, you know, wasn't he asked something like the question, what's the sign of a yes. free country? And the sign is that they have a stock market. Uh, I don't know. Well, uh, I'm less. It was less probably. I'm true when he said it yeah but he probably did imagine just how corrupt the whole thing can be when it's regulated by a thing that's corruptible a monopoly yeah yeah it's uh it's unfortunate i just um you know i i remember my mother you know she she lost a lot of money in 2008 you know and, and a lot of us did a lot, a lot a lot of people did right and and uh it it doesn't have to be that way, you know. And it, it the problem is things like that give capitalism a bad name because they think we live in a capitalist society. Because yeah. that that's the story we've been told. And right. I don't want to give up on the word capitalism because it's I'm a not. good word. I'm not. But at the same time, I'm like, well, crap. If all of society thinks that what America is is a capitalist society, then I don't want to use the word anymore because this it ain't it. I guess I usually use free market and insist on you know. That's what I want. I don't want, I'm not pro-business, I'm pro-market. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, it doesn't really matter. We're humans and we have an awful lot of complex words and concepts and you just have to define them anytime you're having a serious conversation with people. You just have yeah. to. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, 
so I kind of mentioned that I was in the casino business for for about 16 years and um I, I kind of want to tell a little personal story if, if you don't mind. Um Go so for it. <clears throat> I I at one point in my casino journey, I was in the uh, the casino host business. Uh, you know, I was a casino host. You know, and you're you're trying to get players in, and you know if they if they win a lot of money, you try to get them to stay. You know, you're you're comping them rooms, you're comping them meals, you're comping them show tickets, whatever it is to get them back to the table so that the house has a chance to get that money back, right? And I remember telling my father this once, and. And he, he really had a problem with that. I, I was, I was quite surprised because, as I think I've mentioned, I'm a second generation libertarian. I learned everything about my libertarian philosophies from him. Now, my my philosophy has evolved since then, but you know, at the, um, at, at the time, you know, he, he, he would have the idea that, which I, which I now think of as a little bit of a naive libertarian view that there's a separation between government private business and whatever the private business does in search of profits or whatever it is well that's okay that they're a business they they can do what they want um and so i i was just i i thought you know here i am i'm i'm hustling i'm 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 getting players in i'm i'm making money for the casino i'm making money for myself and he, but he really had a problem with that. He he felt like somehow it was unethical to to be doing that, and I I was a little shocked by that. I was like, well, this is just how the business works. And so obviously, you know, that's a clear clear distinction between um, how you can have a political philosophy versus an ethical philosophy. The, the the two are not necessarily related. For a libertarian, politics and morality are are different things you can have a personal morality that that that's different from you know drugs can be legal but it doesn't mean you morally endorse them but then i am but 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 what i would say to him is well look that that's a little rich coming from you because you spent most of your career working for the fdic (laughs) and and he would always say yes but that was a private entity and I had no, I had no counter argument for that back then, because of my libertarian, my my naive libertarian view that there was this separation between government and private businesses, and at the time I felt something just didn't feel right about that, and and honestly, it's only been the last few years that I've come to understand. I, I don't know if you want to call it the Rothbardian view, or maybe Rothbard isn't original to this, but the concept of the state is not just the government. The concept of the state, as we're talking about it, and correct me if I'm wrong, or I want to hear your, you expound on this, is government plus, let's say, the big power players in, in the world. So big pharma, military industrial complex, the big insurance corporations. Yeah, they're private business, but are they really? You know? Yeah, what, what, no, I hear you. Um there's a lot there. I'll take them in reverse order. Um, yes, obviously, if there is a government, it's going to do horrible things, and it's not obviously the case that it exists on a separate plane from us mortal men with our private relationships and businesses. It's right here with us, and private people use their lobbying power 
and influence to corrupt that government and use it to gain favors for themselves. So I think minarchists are a little bit naive when they say we can't have a government and we can't have a private sector and we can't keep those things compartmentalized. Obviously, that's not the case. Witness America in 2024. Just look what happens. Um, but on the other hand, the distinction is real. Um, if you just eliminated the government entirely, then these businesses would lose all of that power that they had over you. They'd have to actually resort to making offers and you either accept them or reject them. But going back to your dad, I'm going I'm to defend you both. He obviously can make an argument that just because something is legal doesn't mean it's moral. I mean, if you if you just make it your habit to find the most psychologically damaged human beings you can and make it your habit to ply them with alcohol and just try and get them to take their arm and force them to put the hand back on the slot, you know, reel and or handle and give it a spin. You know, I mean, you can be unethical. Um, but at the end of the day, I think his criticism of you and that rewards program is misplaced because he knows that the house has an edge, right? Let's say it's, I don't know, 7% on average all across the casino floor. You're engaged in administrating a, a player rewards program to try and make people come back. Would he have some sort of an ethical problem if your casino's policy was just, okay, our, our machines are holding 7% and what we're going to do is we're going to give our customers uh, half of their losses back at the end of the year in an effort to, you know, make them appreciate our place more than the place down the street. Would your dad have a, an ethical problem with that? I, I can't see how. And all you're doing by giving them show tickets and comps and meals and cash back is that. It's just in a more attractive form, uh, something that's going to make people more excited. And uh, on a personal note, I don't ever want those rewards programs um, scrapped because a whole lot of professional gamblers, that's how they make their edge. Right. The marketing department oftentimes gives away more than the gambling department is losing in expected value. Oftentimes they give away a whole lot more. Yep. And those are beautiful days. <laughs> I, I was I was in marketing for many, many years. And you know, we would send out um mailers, you know, with coupons or you know, come twenty dollars in free slot play if you come during this this certain date. <clears throat> you you base those sort of mailers and, and promotional offers on an expected um uh on, on an expected response rate. Right. So so you expect three, four, five percent response rate. If everybody brought in their coupons that day, all 100 percent of the people that we mailed them to, casino would be broke <laughs> instantaneously. Right. Yeah. So I, let's I tie know. all this to let's tie all this together, Tyrone. Um you had a question. Why do people gamble? Yeah, why do people gamble? Is it and, and it's some it's something that when I was in the casino business, it's like, I think we knew instinctually that there's just something about human nature that's uh, attracted to it, but I never understood why or, or did some research. So I, I, I looked into a couple of articles, um, a couple of links that I s sent over to you. And it's, it's interesting. It, I don't know if any of these, these studies or anything are, are conclusive that they've done with like the rhesus monkeys or, or some of some of those other experiments but it does seem like there's something built in to uh, uh, the, the evolutionary cycle if you will 
um, that that drives uh, risk taking behavior. I think it's deeper than that. I think it's built into the structure of the universe. Oh, okay. Well, hold that thought. Uh, I just want to make one comment because the a couple couple tidbits that I thought were interesting from from these articles were that. Do you ever watch those nature shows where the polar bear or, or the big bear spends like an hour tracking its prey? Sure. It's expending all this, all these calories. Sure. And it's like trying to hunt one little fox or something. At the end of the day, it doesn't get it. That's and you're gambling. like, man, you just wasted how many calories chasing that? Would it, it would have been better not, not to do it. So why did you do it? Why do you continue to do it? And that always boggled boggled my mind like if, if it's not guaranteed to get the prey why does it go after no man no man that's beautiful that's why we're here yeah again gambling is built into the structure of the universe yeah that yeah, polar yeah. bear is gambling yeah and 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 these articles i'm reading said something to the effect that actually the negative reward the not getting it triggers something in our brains to make us more motivated to go get it again that's correct and it, and, and so there's something built into our biology to keep us going even more on the losses than on the wins it's not that the well it, it, that that's basically it but i would frame it differently if the result was a steady return for the activity for the monkeys pressing a button or choosing a, a particular color combination with their eye movements, uh, the activity, they'd get bored. They wouldn't do it very much. It favors the motivation circuitry in the brain, which is also tightly linked to the addiction circuitry in the brain, which is why so many people find gambling to be so addictive. But it's not that the losses are what's so motivating. It's the um, irregularity of return. The fact that you don't get something back with every push of the button is what makes you propel your motivation towards that thing and your addiction. And again, that's part of the structure of our entire of life on this planet. You have to be motivated to go out and expend resources in order to gain a prize. And if you weren't built that way, we would have all died a long time ago. Because as you say, if you were just sitting around thinking to the extent that animals think and gamblers, you wouldn't want to risk 10% of your body fat chasing that goddamn seal <laughs> that many miles across the ice or whatever it is that you have to do. Um, and if you were swinging through the trees, ape-like, and that that one that had fruit on it uh, just yesterday all of a sudden doesn't anymore, you know, you don't want to slink off into despair. You need to get motivated to go out and, and gamble some more, expend more resources to achieve ends. And it obviously, not, none of that circuitry or the condition of the universe changed when we evolved our enormous prefrontal cortex, uh, became human, you know, get our, get our big, big brains. Um, we just have more high voluting notions of what resources are, you know, they're, they're chips and time. Um, but everything we do is a gamble. I mean, crossing the street to get a loaf of bread is a gamble. If you exist in a uncertain universe without omniscience, Everything that you do to try and use scarce resources to achieve ends of your choose, that's a gamble. Everything's a gamble. We, we try and make a distinction between investing in a business, in a hot dog cart, you know, or trusting that the job that you take isn't going to be a huge waste of time. We, we distinguish behavior like that from going and playing blackjack all day 
you know, there's obviously something different from the one to the other, but it's, it's a difference to, between gambling with a positive expectation and gambling with a negative one. And most people don't think like that. Yeah. I, I don't. Yeah. That, that, the way, the way you just put that. Yeah. That that's. Hmm. So I know, I know we're going to do a whole episode on free will versus determinism. So I don't want to, to go into that right now, but maybe can just we structure sneak... it as a cage match? Yeah, yeah, yeah. sure, sure, sure. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but just maybe just uh, a quick preview on your thoughts on that. So, if this behavior is built into us, is what do you think? Free will? I don't know. Oh, I don't want to give away my whole Trump okay. card on All that right. issue. Right. Uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll say that. We'll say that, viewers, for for uh, an upcoming episode. Uh, Adam I and will I are going to cage uh, match it. I will say that whether there's whichever way of looking at human cognition is true, free will or determinism, it it does you good to know what's going on inside your head, to know what these triggers are, what these like it does you good to know what that rumbling in your stomach is that makes you feel like you should eat something. Mm -hmm. You're better off knowing what that is. You're you're better off understanding what your sex drive is rather than just being bewildered and why all of a sudden you can't mm. think anymore. Um, and, and this is like that. This is part of the structure of your brain. Um, you were evolved uh, with a certain set of conditions and drives and impulses, and you should know what those are. It, it'll help you plan your day. Okay. Well, awesome. All right, man. Let's wrap it up with a little fun. Super Bowl is coming up, so let's 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 give our quick picks. So it's going to be 49ers versus the Chiefs in a rematch from just four years ago. Although. I don't really remember the one from four years ago. Uh, I, I can't. My, my memory, you know, get, getting in the old age here. So 49ers Chiefs, I believe as of right now when we're recording this, the 49ers are two and a half point favorites, which I find a little surprising considering Purdy as the quarterback. But uh, what's your pick? Well, before I give my pick, All I right. didn't talk about sports betting as a gambling phenomenon. Oh, yeah. And I know a whole lot of people who make money betting the sports. And uh, the way that works is instructive to the Super Bowl here. Okay. Um, usually odds makers are pretty good about understanding what oh, the yeah. line should be, uh, mm -hmm. just from a statistical uh, perspective. Um, analyzing the players, the coaches, who's hurt, you know, history, all of that. And yet, you will find situations where the line is catastrophically wrong. And it's not that the bookmakers are stupid. It's that they don't care what the line is, right or wrong. What they want is both sides of the mm -hmm. of the betting balance sheet to be equal, and then they make the VIG. Right. So if the betting public has a very stupid notion, the way they make both sides of the ledger balance out is by moving the line. Right. So I remember in the, in the 90s when Dallas was America's team, you had a whole bunch of people just goofily betting on Dallas. Uh, to the point where the bookmakers had to adjust the line to balance the, the betting. And if you just consistently bet against the Dallas Cowboys, I mean, I, I can't verify that this was true, but I, I think you could get a pretty good edge just by doing that. And interesting. In, more, in more modern times, there's a period of time where all of the sports analysis was happening on the East Coast. And a lot of people just thought the NFC uh, – uh, East was the best division in football mm -hmm. and they were just ignoring these teams on the West coast uh, or the center of the country that 
were developing these high power offenses. There was an entire season, must have been in the early 20 teens, where you could bet um, the Kansas City Chiefs against any NFC team, NFC uh, East team, and have like a a seven point or more advantage on the line. And that's because the betting public is just stupid. Hmm. Um, I know people yeah. that uh, bet baseball and beat it consistently using that technique. Oh, there I got to learn. People, you got to you got to hook me up with somebody. I I, not, I need to know. <laughs> I'm not trying to I'm not trying to ruin ruin your life, Tyrone. <laughs> there are people I know that beat horse racing despite having a 17 to 22 percent negative house edge because the lines aren't set by the house. The vig is set mm-hmm. by the house, but the lines right. are set by the betting public. It's a it's a paramutual pool. And you can find situations, not that I know how to do it, um, where if you are able to find a huge favorite or a couple of favorites that just can't win for some mm-hmm. fundamental reason, you know, they're on the wrong kind of track or the training uh, sessions have gone a certain way. If you know that and you can just exclude one of these favorite horses from a, a box of a, a superfector or a trifecta bet, you can have a huge edge. And 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 football's like that. So how does that relate to uh, the Super Bowl? I'm at a bit of a disadvantage ever since COVID. I stopped watching football, so I don't even know ah, these teams. Okay, um, but my guess tells me that because Mahomes and the Chiefs have been so hot, yeah, I would bet that the line is wrong. Yep, uh, in that direction. So I would bet the Niners, and I don't even I couldn't even name a player on the Niners anymore. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, well, maybe uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the Chiefs to win, and at only a two and a half point, I, I think I think they'll cover. So so you'll you'll take the Niners. I'll take the Chiefs. We'll we'll see how it goes, and then maybe one day I'll tell you the story I spent a year trying to become a horse racing uh, better and how that did not go very well for me. Uh, well, it's easy I to become a, a horse about, racing better. Yeah, I I, I know a lot about gambling. <laughs> but I suck at it. <laughs> That's All awesome. right, Adam. Well, I think, uh, we'll think we'll wrap it up there. Anything we need to promote? Um, I'll have to send people to our newly formed Substack, although there isn't much there yet. We will be putting out uh, daily content, uh, at least uh, every weekday. Just go to heymannature.substack.com, and you are probably watching this on the YouTube search for Heyman nature. And as soon as my lazy porcupine friend gets off his lazy butt, uh, <laughs> our show will also be on the, on rumble. Yep. Yep. We'll get up on rumble. Uh, yeah. And HeymanNature.com. That'll take you, take you to our Substack site as well. Oh, um, and, uh, just because the great Tom Woods, uh, demands it and he deserves it. Go to diaryofcovid.com and go check out yes, that book. I just absolutely. finished it. And, I think <laughs> I hate the power of government and I'm a libertarian, but I think people should be forced at gunpoint to read that book. <laughs> okay. <Woo. laughs> I mean, All I right. may be, I may be coming off a little strong, but gosh darn it. <laughs> they, what they did was so wrong and so stupid and we can't forget it. it. It would be a crime to forget it. All right. Well, on that cheery note, <laughs> like and subscribe and we will see you next time.